Welcome, loyal listeners, to a very special bonus episode of True North Nerds. Uh, we have had the following gentlemen on our show, I think, three or four times at this point. But he has a new comic book coming out, and, you know, we like to support our friends, and it makes it easier when the book looks kick-ass. Joining us tonight is Fred Kennedy, who you can hear on Q107 most weekday afternoons, unless he's at a con con somewhere. And he also has from Image Comics coming out, Dead Romans, which looks super cool. Thank you for joining us, Fred. Thank you for letting me be here, man. Uh, So let's start off with talking about Dead Romans. Uh, when you mentioned, I think you mentioned to me online like a while ago that you had something from Image in the pipe, but you weren't going to talk about it yet. Yeah. How has this been in the works? You know, what's interesting is because we were messaging before the interview on Facebook Messenger and I had hopped in and it was actually three years ago today that uh nick sent me the original rough for the first cover wow so it's been in the works for a while but the the thing was is that nick had two books in the pipe when we started working on this and so he did the pitch pages and then we sent them out and then everything fell into place and then we had to wait for him to finish those two books and then we started working on dead romans and i don't I think I talked to you about it after the paperwork was done with image, but I didn't really talk about anything in detail. Cause I, I, I'm very, it's an interesting time where everyone talks about things on the internet. Like they're like, Oh, I sent a pitch out. I hope something comes of it. Oh, I'm in talks with some people with some really cool things. I don't like to talk to anybody about anything until it's done because there's nothing more humiliating than having to explain why something didn't happen after you alluded to it possibly happening. You know, it's like you have to relive the humiliation every time. And I'm very sensitive, so I don't like to do that. (laughs) So I I try to only talk about things when they're done. And to be honest, like I didn't, I don't know. I didn't talk about this with very many people until we had like three or four issues in the can. So I, I was, I was very hesitant to discuss it at all. So, like, you you were, like, really, like, far into the process at that point when you started well, yeah, revealing things. Absolutely. And it, it's it's terrifying because I've had so many almosts in my life, man. So many almosts, especially in comics. It's so, it's so fickle, and that line, comics will break your heart. Absolutely, it will. But I think that's oh, yeah. the same about anything that you care about that you're chasing will break your heart. And if you can't deal with the heartache, you really shouldn't bother getting involved with it. That's just part of the game you know so i knew what i was getting into but like i i've I've said that before and i've been told that that's pretty harsh but it's like it's not harsh it's just a reality of the situation and you need to be able to accept it yeah well the comics are are like part of the entertainment industry and there is it, it is like an area where you can do your own thing but getting into like a a pitch with image or boom or Marvel or DC is like, there is a, a limited amount of people who get to do that. Yeah. And, and and I'm very lucky. And, and the whole process with, with this book in particular is it's pretty, it's pretty rad. And I've, I've, 
all the ups and downs I've really enjoyed. And it's interesting because I sent the pitches out. The first batch of pitches I sent to editors I knew that were like assistant editors. I remember sending it to IDW specifically. Um, and there was an editor uh, at IDW uh, named Bree who is now working at uh, she's working at Oni. And when I sent it to her, she gave me some really great feedback because she rejected it. Like it did get rejected, but the feedback that she gave me really thoroughly explained like, you know, why it got rejected because what happened was she said it back and she, she, she sent back like, we, it's not really what we're going to do right now. And I wrote back saying, listen, I'm not trying to change your mind, but what am I not doing? Because the things that you're saying that uh, the book doesn't include, I know it does include, but how am I not getting the right information to you? And so she explained like, here are some flaws that you had with your pitch. And I was like, perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And it's interesting. If you take the time to like write back with a, listen, I'm not trying to like hound you. I'm just trying to learn. You'll be amazed at how many people are willing to have that conversation with you. And I took the things that she told me to heart and then I reworked the pitch itself. And so the next batch of pitches I sent with Dead Romans, because I didn't want to give up on it because I was really confident that we had something. We were playing with fire here. And I sent the next batch out, but I didn't send the pitch doc. I just sent the pages. So I sent the pages out and I remember I sent them to Shadowline and I said, this book is beautiful. You're going to love it. And I got a, I got an email back from Jim Valentino and it was around like 10 in the morning and I was at work early that day and I opened up my email and there's a letter from an email from Jim Valentino. It says, you don't need to tell me if something is beautiful. I'll know if it's beautiful. And my reaction was, <laughs> well, we tried. Well, we tried. We gave it a go, but you know, there we go. And then about, I hadn't even responded to that. Okay. I didn't even respond to that message. And then I got an email back like about an hour after that saying, these pages are beautiful. Send me everything you have right now. So I sent that pitch that I had reworked based on the feedback from IDW. And by four o'clock this afternoon, I had a contract in my hand. And so I, I, have, I have to give credit to... Uh, Bree at IDW for her feedback because I don't think it would have landed without that feedback. So sometimes I think we get very defensive and 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 you know proud about things and and get our noses turned up when somebody says no. But sometimes a no is really just I know this sounds like some hokey after school special, but sometimes a no is just a prelude to a yes, if you know what I mean. Mm. So it's like, don't take it as a no, take it as a learning experience and then change what it is you're doing. Now, I suppose if, if she had said, this is what your story's not doing. And my reaction was like, oh, I'm not, I've got to rewrite this whole thing. Then maybe things would have been different, but I just wasn't selling the story properly is the issue, you know? Yeah. Uh, before we get into uh, the comic itself, I just have to ask, because I've had similar experiences along the way doing this sort of stuff. Uh, how awesome was it to get an email from Jim Valentino and oh. then the follow-up email saying, I like this stuff. It was the wildest thing because uh, I've got a lot of friends who have done work with Shadowline and they always say that Jim will never sugarcoat anything that he says to you. And mm. he doesn't. And he's, and uh, I, 
he has been very understanding of my complete lack of experience with this world. And whenever I have misstepped, he has immediately written me being like, listen, you can't do that. That's not how, that's not how this business works. You got to stop doing that. And, and it's been great. It's been a great learning experience. I've been very fortunate. And I have to give a full shout out to my team. Uh, and then Nick is, Nick is my partner in crime. Absolutely. Ride or die. 100% in with him from the very beginning, like years ago when we started working on this. But Allison O'Toole is one of the greatest editors in the game. And to be working with her is, is something that I am profoundly lucky to have. Uh, she has helped me so much in crafting this story and putting it together. And, and we've got, dude, there's so many, so much punch on this book, like Jose Villarubia, like the, the work that he did, like when I, when I told one of my friends, uh, that I was working with Jose and he was doing the colors on our book, he lost his mind because Aerosmith is one of his favorite comics of all time. And now he's got that Richard Corbin book that he's working on. And then we've also got Andrew doing our letters. Like Andrew Thomas is fantastic at letters. And, and I, and I don't want to dismiss his artistic talent at the same time, but I am very lucky to be working with the people that I'm working with. Like I, I have to give full credit to them and, and how could there, I could, spend the next half an hour talking about how absolutely phenomenally incredible and talented Nick is, man. His <laughs> art is so insane. And I, we were on a podcast the other day and I don't know if the, what was in the guy's cup, but as the evening got along, cause Nick and I did it together. He was like, Bill Sienkiewicz is like, you're the next Bill Sienkiewicz and all this stuff. And I'm like, right on, right on. I love everything that's going on here. I yeah. love working with Nick, man. And we would love to do a second arc to this book. Like, that's the plan. We wrote it with two arcs. We'd love to do that. All right. So let, let's get into the book itself. Uh, what's the the quickest summary we can we can do for this book? It is an incredibly dark, violent, and horrific love story. That is the best way to explain it. <laughs> And I know the so the the time period is here. We we have a Germanic prince raised in Rome. I'm I'm reading off the image solicitations. <laughs> I has sworn vengeance against the empire that butchers his people. He wants to make a queen of the woman he loves. How long have you been had this idea in your head? Because I correct me if I'm wrong. I seem to feel that this is a time period you like have a lot of interest in it absolutely i, I do but i've done a lot of like to me like years and years ago that like either maybe this idea or something like you were like somebody should do something in this this spot i have possibly mentioned like in my drunken prolific rantings because we've had many beers at the loose moose after con <laughs> um and and i probably mentioned it and and gotten as as the beer has flowed gotten more impassioned with my speech but i've i've toyed around with the idea of historical fiction for a long time and the roman empire is just something that i've always really wanted to work on um and there's a lot of real big figurehead moments in uh, Roman imperial history. And 
There's the Battle of Cannae, which you, is the biggest numerical defeat that uh, the Romans really ever suffered. There's when Crassus was massacred by the Parthians. Was it the Scythians or the Parthians? Maybe it was the Scythians. No, it was the, I'm pretty confident. The Sassanids? I don't know. But when Crassus got defeated, that was also a really big massacre. But I think in terms of real multinational historical impact, the Battle of Tudorburg Forest is one of the most important ones ever because of how unexpected it was, how total of a defeat it was, and how it redefined the borders of the empire. And at no point after that did they change. Because this is 9 AD. This is September of 9 AD. And the Roman Empire, if you want to say the, the Western Empire, went on for another 400 years. The Eastern Empire went on for another thousand plus years after that. And at no point again after this did they, did they colonize Germania. So the Battle of Tudorburg Forest, for anyone who isn't familiar with the history, Rome had colonized Germania. They were making it a Roman province. They sent a governor into Germania. He brought this Roman general named Arminius with him because Arminius was a Sheruzzi, and Sheruzzi were Germans. They were a Germanic tribe, and they were a very large and powerful tribe, and he was a prince of the chieftain of the Shruzzi, who was taken as a hostage and raised in Rome. And when he was raised in Rome, he became a very respected and known and admired general. And actually, under his own merit, achieved the rank of a keet, which is like, uh, like a knight. They're a noble. And when he went back to Germania, he was sort of put in this role where he was meant to be a go-between between the Roman imperial state and the Germanic people. But when he got there, he saw what was happening to his people. If they didn't pay taxes, they'd get crucified. And he remembered his loyalty to his blood. And he came up with his idea that if he united the German people behind him and he trained them and let them follow his lead, he would create a situation where they could drive the Romans out of Germania forever. And that's what he did. And, and the historical context, just the actual nuts and bolts of what he did are so fantastical, you'd think they were fiction, but they were real. Like, it's, a, it's an absolute masterstroke of understanding the tools that you have at your disposal and how to use them against somebody who is vastly superior to your own forces. Like it's the Battle of Tudorburg Forest is still a battle that is studied at military colleges around the world, specifically because it's one of those textbook cases of you don't need to have the best army or the biggest army. You just need to understand where you're fighting. It's it's absolutely amazing. And that was one of the things that I was very adamant we didn't touch because a lot of times. Like if you watch a movie like uh, Kingdom of Heaven, the movie about uh, Saladin retaking Jerusalem, yep. there's a lot of things that got changed that I thought really diminished the tactical genius of Saladin, who is one of my absolute favorite characters in, in, hist in history, period. I've, I've always said I would love, love 
to do a comic about Saladin uh, and because of, of just the things that he managed to achieve, not even him retaking Jerusalem, just about uh, what he did when he was in Egypt before any of that even happened, or just like, there's not many Saladins and there's a reason why we remember people like that. But I didn't want a kingdom of heaven Arminius. You know what I mean? I wanted mm. all of the genius that he put on display to be there. But the one thing that I always find weird about the Arminius and Tudorberg story is that it's always put in this. And I think it's because like of the, and I'm, trust me, I'm building to something here. Uh, the building of the statue of Arminius and Bismarck and how he reunited the Weimar Republic and all that stuff. It became this, he's a guy who believes in the, in the, in the, the reality of a united German people and Germany as a country. And that's cool. And I get that, but I always find that when you find somebody that has been put in that position, they ignore the raw human reality of a human being. A lot of times our motivations are not built on these grandiose ideas so much as immediacy. And we took Arminius and we made him somebody who, yes, he wants to unite his people, but it's not because he wants to become, he wants to unite the people for the sake of uniting them. It's because he wants to be a king and he wants a woman named Honoria by his side to be his queen. And I think a lot of us are closet romantics and I wanted him to be this passionate guy, completely and totally in love. And I don't think that that is a weakness. I don't think that loving somebody to the point you're willing to give them everything should ever be viewed as a weakness. I think it's a tremendous fountain of strength. And I think if you read the story, there's so many little notes about how all these grand things are happening around him, but all he wants is that woman by his side. He wants Honoria by his side. And, and love is like this incredibly powerful, motivating thing. And when you take a look at the, the Iliad and the Odyssey, all of it started because of uncontrollable love and desire. And those are yeah. raw human emotions. And I don't think we, I think we dismiss that stuff when we try and put these grandiose intentions on people because we think it embiggens them to quote the Simpsons. But I don't think, I don't think that's true at all. I think it, it's very, I think it's very human. I think it's, it's amazing to humanize people. Just, they were just somebody that was in love and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know? Yeah. Uh, how'd you hook up with Nick? Like I, I've been flipping through, I wasn't really familiar with him until I saw he was doing a book with you. I flipped through his like deviant art and his Twitter and Instagram so and stuff. Oh, dude. So good. <laughs> uh, well, like, you know, you and I have known each other for a while. And when I saw you post this book, I, obviously I'm going to order it. I, I do that for <laughs> guys like, Thank like you. you. I appreciate it. Well, it, you're, I know it's going to be good. Like just regardless. Same with the Adam Gorham, one of your uh, other collaborators. Anytime Adam's got something up, I'll always get it. 
We got but, something. Adam Gorham and I have something in the works, but I cannot talk about it. There is something <laughs> coming else coming from Adam Gorham and I. Nice. But I can't I can't say anything about it. But I can say that it's some of the art that he has been posting on his stories is is from that. But Ooh. me and Nick, uh, I tabled like down the road down the aisle from Nick at uh it was actually, I think it was at the spring show. Was it the spring show? I think it was at the spring show. Okay. A few years ago. And I was toying around with this idea and I talked to Kalman about it. And Kalman Andrushovsky, by the way, evil Kalman on social media. And I talked to him about it and he said, Nick Marinkovic is your guy. And I was like, coincidentally, I actually have like soft pitched him on this already. And he goes, you've got to hard pitch that guy. Because Nick did this book called Kank for anybody who hasn't, hasn't read it. Not Kink, Kank. K-E-N-K, about a guy who is the most prolific bike thief of all time in Toronto. Uh, and it is beautiful. Uh, he also did these books, The Voyager, uh, which are another perfect example of absolute beauteousness. And it was it was The Voyager book that really made me want to work with him on uh, Dead Romans. And I messaged him after the show. And then we met up and... I didn't realize this, but we did this podcast together a few days ago and he was explaining how he was reading. No, he was listening to a podcast about the history of Rome. And I messaged him about doing a book about Rome. And he goes, it's fate. It's the galaxy speaking. And I'm like, I had no idea this happened. And so then we went out for drinks and we talked about it and we didn't even really get into the discussion about money at all like we just we, we talked about the book and we were both so committed to doing it and he's like i got some stuff i gotta finish first and he goes, when i'm done that's when we'll work on it so yeah then then that's how we met and it has been an incredibly collaborative process so i will write him the script and then he'll send me a text as he's working on it being like listen i want to move this around in this year is, is this a good idea and i'm like absolutely i trust you and so that's how it is. Like it's it's very different than most comic book working relationships. So uh, you have, uh, as you kind of mentioned earlier, you've been around the block with a couple of different comic publishers. Uh, some good, some not so great. <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to put it nicely, I guess. Yeah, I know. I know. And, I don't say bad things, but keep going. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and anybody who's listened to my show has probably a good idea of who I'm talking about. But uh, what was it like coming into Image? Like, how was that, especially since, you like, this is not to diminish you at all, but this is a, a pretty big step in terms of company size from what you'd been working with earlier. Oh, it's surreal. I think is the wildest thing I've I've messaged with Jim a lot about it and I I've really hit it off with him a lot. He's been great to deal with uh, just in terms of the, the lessons that he's taught me and all that stuff. And, and I really hope that it opens up some new doors for me. And it, it's cool to like have all these things happening right now. We're talking with like uh, European publishers about licensing rights and all that stuff. And, oh, cool. and those are things that 
like when I'm only bringing that up not to be like, oh, I'm such a big deal. I'm bringing that up to put it into context about that's a huge step. And so we're talking with some publishers in Italy and in France about doing publications of the book. And to be honest, I want to talk to some publishers in, in Germany as well, because I think it would do really well. We actually have a sequel book called Dead Germans, which we want to <laughs> do. Because the story about Arminius, we really only tell the first half of the story in this book. Like it's like it's like Star Wars A New Hope. Like there's a definitive beginning, middle, and an end here. But but there can be like a there couple more is from a historical standpoint a lot more to tell, and we've already mapped it all out. And the initial version of the script was written with the intention of doing that second arc. And we had to change it because the first arc has to stand alone. And the way it was originally written, if the second arc didn't happen, it wouldn't have really stood on its own because it would have needed that second part. Uh, but yeah, like it'd be, it's been a very cool process going to image. And what's wild too is like, there's been some stuff so, like I, I mentioned earlier about the historical context and stuff. And the thing is, is that ever, when you hear the term berserker, you think of Vikings. But it's not a Viking thing. That's the thing that people don't get, is that berserkers are not a Viking thing. Berserkers were these warriors that were riding the high of so many mushrooms because they ate magic mushrooms and they or they they ate the mushrooms or they drank tea made with the mushrooms it's really debatable but what they did but the mushroom that it looks like according to anthropologists and historians the mushrooms that they ate gave them erections and these prolific long-lasting erections and these berserkers would fight fully erect and nude and they would be have their bodies painted and they would charge out of the woods naked painted fully at attention wielding weapons looking to murder people and nick and i were talking about that is the most disturbing thing you could imagine <laughs> and so we actually had to have a conversation with image editorial about whether or not we would be allowed to show that on the page. And if you look at cover B for the third issue, which you'll be able to see soon, it shows a guy standing in a, a bog holding a weapon and he is completely naked and the shadow, clever use of negative space, hides his nakedness. And that is one of the characters in the book. He's a tribal chieftain named Ganaskus, who uh, is one of the vocal critics of Arminius's strategies and how he will beat the Romans. But he's there for one reason only, to murder Romans. And the processes that we've gone through, because normally, like, if it's just you doing it, you're like, screw it, we're doing it. <laughs> it's fine. Who cares? But with Image, it was very much like, we have to follow the rules. <laughs> we will ask mm. permission to do things. But they have been so great about everything. I have nothing, nothing but amazing things to say about this entire process. Especially uh, with the people that I'm working with directly, like Jim, Allison, Nick, uh, Jose, and Andrew. I am so lucky to have the people that I have in my corner. It, it looks like a great book. 
Like uh, I'm, I'm not doing it like on a whole. It's and I'm not the only one. Uh, my listeners know that my day job at the current moment is I work at a comic shop, and while I have put one, you know, I've got the series in my poll box. I ain't the only one. There's a bunch of people who have like just seen the art and seen the cover and added it on. So that cover is pretty creepy, eh? Yeah, <laughs> it, but in such a good way. Yeah. We were um, very big on, if you look at all the pages, there's all kinds of stuff that Nick puts in there with the whole idea of making everything unsettling. Like he wants everybody to be unsettled because it is a very unsettling scenario to be in. Yeah, I, I must admit the the one thing that I've seen with the art previews and now you mentioning the, the, the talks with European publishers is I'm now a little jealous of them because I, I know like a lot of stuff when it gets translated gets put in those big, like nice oversized albums. Yeah. <laughs> and seeing this in that format would be uh, pretty awesome. Absolutely. Like I want to get, if it, if it comes out from Delacour in like France, I am going to definitely be snagging some of those french copies that's like one of the benefits of being bilingual is being able to read those like french language comics and that exactly for what you're saying that oversized format i think would just pop when people get it in their hands so uh dead romans is hitting newsstands and comic shops on march 22nd am i correct in this absolutely you are and uh it is going to be a mini series for now Six issues. Six, six issues. issues. Uh, it, I know you, uh, as per the top of this interview, I know you don't like talking about the future too, too much, but uh, you got anything else in the pipe that you can speak about? Uh, what can like, what am I working on? Well, I've got two pitches that I'm really amped on, that I'm kind of sitting on. And plan on sending out over the next few months. But there okay. is that book that I just talked about with Adam that is coming. Um, nice. I can't actually, you know what? I don't want to, I, I can't say anything aside from that. I oh, am that, doing no, I'm a not book. forcing you to. I <laughs> am doing a book with Adam Gorham and it's really dark and borderline horror. And I am very fortunate again to be working with a talent that I always feel like I'm being carried along by the artist. And again, absolutely. I am. I have, and like, as a per, like on a personal level, I love Adam. Like he's one of my, Oh yeah. He's a, he's a great best friends, favorite people in the world. But from a talent perspective, he is, I think one of the best out there, hands down, bar none, his inks are, absolutely incredible and to be able to see him draw things that i have written is the greatest feeling in the world you know it's up there yeah. with childbirth you know it's right there <laughs> i love the fact that like just going to this light segue that like he seems to be right now ticking off the the boxes on his want list like he did that godzilla book last year he's doing <laughs> yeah. uh is it star wars or vader he's doing yeah he's doing vader okay listen I want to put this out there. I helped with the Godzilla book, not significantly, but I did help with some <laughs> of the writing stuff of that book at the very beginning. And IDW did not put my name in the credits and he was all mad and he was like, I'm sorry, man. I don't know what to do. I'm like, dude, I don't care. It's cool. I was just happy to be able to like help out. 
And when I say that, I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying, oh, I had this big, because I had a very, very minor hand to play in that book. But being able to do anything with it and see stuff as it came out was really cool. Yeah. And his idea for that book, when he explained it to me before he even pitched it, I was like, oh, dude, that's a banger. Like, that's an absolute banger. Make that happen. I want to see it happen. Uh, but yeah, so there's that book that is coming. Outside of that, the only other writing thing that I am working on is the, I do a Star Wars radio play, Mud 79. Yes, I was actually going to ask you about that because it's been a while since we've had some news. There are... Four episodes already done of the second Ooh. season, like not written, but written, voiced, produced. They're done. Um, the plan right now was to launch at the end of this month, but it looks like to keep a weekly release schedule feasible, we're going to release at the beginning of May. Oh, uh, nice. I completely remixed, revoiced, and reproduced the first season. So we're going to re-release the first season and then we're going to release the second season and we're going to go episode by episode, one week at a time. Like the first season, there were breaks. This season, it is going to be a weekly rollout and there are 20 episodes. The first season had 12 episodes. The second season is 20 episodes. Uh, the first season had a cast of 50 people. The second season has 92 people. So it is a much bigger production than the first, and it has been a thunderous time vampire that uh, <laughs> has caused a lot of stress. And my computer fried, my main audio production computer melted down on me uh, Thursday night. Mm. So we're still, I gave myself a month leeway. I should have everything back up and running, but yeah, that, that should be coming out within the next few weeks. We got a trailer that's in the works and you will hear more about it. And there will be some big news about it uh, at Star Wars Day, May the 4th, the Toronto big celebration. We're going to have a lot of stuff there because there are some people that are involved in the scene that are going to be there. And I'm pretty stoked about it. I really like the way the story has progressed. Anybody that hasn't Listen to Mud 79. It is Platoon meets Star Wars. It is a story told from the Imperial perspective about five years after the Clone War, when people are now just starting to realize that when the Republic becomes the Empire, it's not just the question of switching out the flags. There's a lot of other things that come along with it. And you have to put the you have to understand the context and scale of something the size of the Empire. And how not everybody's going to get what happened. You know, not everybody lives in Coruscant. Some people live on the outskirts. And when the empire becomes the empire, they're just like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's still pretty much the same thing as it was. So that's the type of story that we're telling with that. And it, I, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how people react. People that love the first season, I hope they like the second as well, because it definitely has some changes. So, and I think it's, I think it's great. I've got a vision for the whole story and I'm really stoked to get it out there. I, I'm very much looking forward to it. The only thing is, as I, I may hold off until uh, I have a Chicago road trip in October 
do that it way up. I can I can listen to the whole thing on the way there and on the way back. I think the runtime is going to be close to twenty hours. Nice. I think you'll you'll get your money uh, you'll get your money's worth because, buddy, I am bleeding for this one, man. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, hey, I have stated it before. If you need somebody to do a voice of somebody dying or getting <laughs> shot or like slash, I need a, a lot thing. of voices like that, dude. After we're done, I'm gonna give you a list of things I need you to do tonight to send me if you can. Oh, oh. all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and I have practiced. I'm I've actually been murdered in a Judge Dredd comic book. So there you go. That's a the dream. <laughs> the dream. All right. Thank you very much for talking with us, Fred. Like I said, I'm very, very to see dead romans hitting the shelves and i will do my best to make sure that other people know about it as well absolutely and if you're at the toronto comic-con the spring show uh next weekend we will have prints available and there may or may not be some interesting teasers in those prints if you take a close look